Hello and welcome back to the State of Play podcast, episode 89. I'm at my standing desk today um, because my chair is broken and I'm joined by my co-host as always, Matt Santangelo. How are you doing? Same old. Uh, Milan got a victory on the weekend against Benevento. Wasn't pretty by any means, but a victory and they're back in the conversation for, for top four. So um, second sixth of, second sixth yeah <laughs> it's it's kind of going back and forth with, with this team but there's a big match against Juvig on the weekend so it should be fun I heard uh the reason Martinez out for this episode is because he's been he, he's got something called a, a spaces hangover or something like that yeah this man's putting in some serious shifts with spaces I think we did like a five hour I think we did like a five hour one I know a couple of people at Twitter and and they reached out to me and said that was the longest one ever. (laughs) Yeah, it was a marathon. I'm shocked I actually woke up from a morning workout, but here we are talking football. Brilliant. I mean, look, like we were going to actually record tomorrow because our our schedules just aren't aligning. Loads of stuff happening for both of us. I, we only managed to just sneak this one in because I got off a call early uh, and you don't have anything till half past. We've got 40 minutes. I mean, I, I guess the main thing to talk about, Matt, is something you probably woke up to and I like, you know, dropped my sandwich as I saw it during lunchtime, which was uh, Mourinho getting another job straight away. Interesting, isn't it? Right. I think, um, you know, it's funny too, because I actually finished my workout and was ready to start my day at nine o'clock in the morning here in the, in the, on the East Coast in the US. And I thought it was I saw a link to Roma that someone shared to me. And I thought, oh, they announced, sorry. Like they already announced their coach, right? Because the news about Fonseca parting ways at the end of the season was already announced. Yeah. And then I see Mourinho's face and I'm like, wait a second, let me click on the <laughs> account to see if it was like one of those fake accounts, right? And sure enough, here we are, right? Jose Mourinho, um, weeks after getting fired by Tottenham before their cup final, then there was him taking a job apparently for talk sport ahead of the Euros. Mm. Now he gets the Roma job. So I'm curious to see how quickly this came about. But my initial reaction to it is, one, shock, because mm. I think most people expected Sari to be the next guy. Because I think when you look at this Roma side, there's some pieces that are pretty good. I mean, VR, mm. you know, we, we talked about uh, Nikita Ryan's kind of like this new lease on life. He looks pretty solid for them. Um, Al-Sharawi, Jekko, maybe but he stays now. So they have some pieces, but it's quite clearly a squad in transition, right? They're yeah. On, on the, at, the, at risk of not making the Europa League even, right? Mm-hmm. So um, that's where I kind of thought Sorry would be a little bit better of a fit in the sense that he's his style, his philosophy and way of doing things seems to be a little bit more modernized and it's proven to win in recent years where as Mourinho's style, um, which, you know, he's so steadfast in his approach and obviously it helped him win in years past, he struggled lately. That's why mm-hmm. it was really confusing to me. But I have to say this, Credit to Dan Friedkin, the new owner for Roma, um, who we had John Solano come on during the summer when he came uh, as, as the new owner to talk about what Roma fans should expect on the market, the coaching situation, all that stuff. This sends a big signal to the fans that they're really trying to build something big with this club. There's, there's intentions to compete. And I think they have been overshadowed in recent years by what Lazio have been doing with their squad, with their coach, mm-hmm. the, their, the young players. So I'm really curious to see how this squad is assembled under Jose Mourinho because you don't get him without certain guarantees and assurances on the market as far as spending goes. Um, a simple assessment of the squad, you can see they need work. But also, 
how much of a rope are they going to give a leash are they going to give on Mourinho right because you know we've seen him last a year or two at most at certain clubs but he's a very polarizing individual where would it surprise you if in, at the end of one year he's bounced probably not so my initial reaction is they have to get rid of some of these useless two-bit parts in that squad that just simply are not cut out for that team and start to move in a way that's um, now able to build Rome and Mourinho's image. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a really strange appointment. I'm trying to look at the upside and I guess the position that Rome are in right now, they are quite clearly you know, just outside the top six when it comes to the the, the, the best teams in Serie A, right? Um, so I guess the bar's low for him, isn't it, Matt? Like he, he comes in, he's got some young pieces. I think you mentioned some good pieces, but he's also got some good young pieces, right? And some good players at some good ages. So you've got Paolo Lopez, you've got Mancini, you've got um, Pellegrini, you mentioned Ed and Dzeko might go, but Borja Mayoral has, has been in really good form when he's played. So there are some players there that... Um, mm-hmm that he can mold, but I I guess the bar's quite low, isn't it? I mean, I would say so. Yeah. Right. Because I think, you know, they're a team that's like I said, seventh, eighth in the table right now. They're obviously in a transition, as I mentioned, but you look at this squad dynamic and you see up and down the roster who is cut out to be potentially key member. I mean, they got Kambula from Verona. They spent significantly on him in central defense. Uh, Mancini is a nice player who can play a couple of different roles, um, even in the midfield in a pinch. You know, Zaniolo, if he can come back from some of his mm. devastating injuries with no um, knees, you know. right? Jekko, if they can maybe still have him be like that sort of guiding presence, that that sort of captain like player that the squad is going to need. Um, and in the midfield, they have Jordan Veratu, they have Diawara, VR, as you mentioned, Ibanez in defense. So there's some pieces there. I just have to really look at the squad and see, well, what's the skeleton that Mourinho is going to look to build upon, right? Because I think that's what you look at with any team that's in transition. Who can they keep? Who's worth keeping and who's worth building around? That's how any good team, any prolonged project is, 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 is established. And that's going to be, again, the most interesting thing, right? I think maybe these next four weeks or the, the final month of the season, that's what Mourinho is going to be keeping an eye on, right? I mean, obviously he's not going to be coaching right now, but with Fonseca finishing the season, Mourinho can observe from afar and see which guys he envisions playing key roles for him, which again, will be very fascinating to see because he may see a Gala Cristante who was pretty good at Atalanta. They spent a significant amount on him a couple of years ago and he's been a bust. Maybe he sees him in a different way and he says, Hey, I can get something out of this guy where, He's not so much a lost cause. So Marino's got his hands full, but I'm curious to see, right? But the expectations being as low as you said, you know, he's not expected for, like in many ways, having that same expectation he had stepping into the, the Spurs job. Like, hey, we want to get champions, a top four or bust. Like, it's different. It's a different scenario. And then you can make a case. This is unlike any position he stepped in, right? Because the bar is that low. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I kind of look at, you mentioned Mkhitaryan, we mentioned a lot of people in the timeline, I mentioned Chris Smalling. I do wonder how some of those guys that have had those previous relationships that may not have been so good with him, how they feel, right? As you mentioned, Mkhitaryan's been pretty good for Roma. Chris Smalling's been Roma's best central defender Smalling. since he's arrived. He's been one of the best defenders in Serie A when fit. 
um, which is crazy to I say even, out loud, I isn't even, it? Uh, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even mention Pellegrini too, like who's yeah. supposed to be one of their core main guys for the future and present. So like I said, they got some pieces. It's, it's just going to be interesting to see how a team that's been very, uh, not penny pinching, but because they kind of been under that sort of financial fair play oversight that they really have been in such a position where they can open the open the open the, the wallet a little bit wider to pay a little extra for pieces that are otherwise deemed essential for the project. Whereas you have other clubs around Europe and some of his previous clubs who have been able to afford him that luxury of saying, hey, I need a central defender. Go and get me a central defender or a midfielder or a winger or a number 10. It's going to be interesting to see how Friedkin approaches this now that he has to pretty much cater to Mourinho. Because you don't, like I said, you don't bring Mourinho in and expect him to turn water into wine. I think uh, the, the first thing that strikes me is, is a bit of a lazy appointment, right? Um, there was obviously a lot of rumours about Francesca leaving, which I think he's still a good coach. I think he's definitely someone to keep an eye on. I I, I kind of look at like um, the talent that is lower down in, in Syria and whether or not um, from a coaching standpoint, they could have gone for him. Obviously, Sarri was, was mentioned uh, many times and that would have been an interesting fit considering some of the, the good technical players that Roma have, um, especially if Zaniolo can actually make it back. Um, you know, even if you look at the, the guys who are maybe more physically imposing, the likes of Gianluca Mancini and, and Aaron Dzeko, they're, they're still technically very able. Um uh, so, so that would have been an interesting fit for me, but just looking at kind of this, it, it does seem like slightly lazy and a, a, a big surprise and a big shock. And I mean, like the, the trigger point must've been the big, big loss to Man United, right? Because uh, to some extent as an ownership team, as a, as an exec team, you look at that and you say, well, if they somehow make it through United and they get to the final and they win it, then you can't really sack him, can you? Um, that must have been the turning point, Matt. And um, yeah, I, I'm just overall quite surprised that they've gone for for someone like Mourinho, who, let's be honest, is quite outdated at this point. He is. I mean, you know, how many times have we had Harry on to speak about Mourinho? I know he gave his like, you know, closing interview about how he felt about Mourinho in our <laughs> um, Super League episode, right? The show yeah. with Super League. And yeah, I mean, it's it's quite clear that his way of doing things and the past stints he's been with or he's been at just haven't been effective they haven't he hasn't made that sort of adaptation to his game and i get i get the temptation i get the temptation from an ownership team but also to be like okay well it didn't really work chelsea second time but he won the league title it didn't really work at united but he won the europa league and the league cup it didn't work at spurs but there were some signs right when they were top and they beat the united 6-1 so maybe maybe you do think, oh, it's like the, the guy that, uh, you know, the, finally he's, he's, he's the guy that, um, that we thought he was, right? It's kind of like, uh, I, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a bad analogy, but I can't think of one off the top of my head. But it just, it just feels like clubs are going to keep doing this and keep taking a punt, hoping that the old Mourinho will come back until it's very, you know, visible to everyone that the, the old Mourinho, the new Mourinho is the new Mourinho. Well, let me, let, let me say this. I guess this is, would be my one fat final question I want to throw over to you. Do you think this is his final club job before taking an international job? I tweeted something along the lines of, I think this is his, I think this is the type of level that Mourinho will 
manage for the rest of his managerial career unless there is a goose head ink type three month six month stint somewhere um i can't really ever see england going to germany i think the only club that would big enough from a stature and salary point for you were with Bayern Munich we all know what their leadership team are like they're very no-nonsense they're not going to fuck around with Mourinho PSG again like they've got Pochettino he's already criticized the French league I can't really see that happening England like who's gonna who's gonna hire him in England uh realistically just I think that ship sailed um could he go back to a Madrid that's probably the most likely thing that I can think of in my head in terms of another big team. But because like we've ruled out, you know, we've ruled out England, we've ruled out Germany, France, Italy. Like I doubt he's going to get another Italian job unless he does like amazingly well and then goes to like a, a bigger Italian club, which would be like a crazily massive surprise. Um, it does feel like that. I feel like unless he goes to again this this might bite me in the ass because like he could go and get top four with um Roma next season and they could you know do really really well but like the next one feels like to me could it be like a could it be like another Portuguese team could it be a Porto for round two uh but again they've got a, a young promising uh coach there as well so uh, yeah like MLS uh like too expensive like it just feels like this or this level is going to be the last one before he goes and manages Portugal or another national team. That that feels like the natural way things are heading because like, I think when you get to his age and, and you've managed a lot of teams, you've managed for a long, long time, it's very exhausting. You might want that kind of a bit more reserved, less hands-on, you're really coaching every like two or three months national team role where right. you can be the man manager. Like a Joachim Lowe. Right. I think, yeah, I think the one thing too for him is that, you know, when like you see the kind of role that Arsene Wenger's carved out for himself post-career in the mm. pundit sector. And he's amazing to listen to, like break down the game, speak on certain things. And I think Mourinho, that's coming very soon for him. I yeah. think maybe he got maybe this Roma job. Again, things can change, right? If he does really good, maybe he's got another big job left in him and it's kind of like his career arc. But uh, yeah, I, I, I'm just really curious to see um, if Mourinho can apply some of the same principles he had at Inter a decade or so ago and make them work at Roma. Because I think in a can I ask you this question? sense, yeah, I think, I think yeah. you're going to go on to it, but like, yeah, I said to someone that it's probably easier to do a Mourinho in Serie A than it is in yeah. any other league. Yep. So talk me through that. Like what, why do you think this could work stylistically in, in the league that he's joining? I think that, you know, the pace of play that we see with the Premier League and, uh, you know, the Bundesliga and the way, obviously, the game has shifted, right? You know, 10 years on from his, his treble win would enter um, and some of the, obviously, the feats that followed. But, you I mean, the game rapidly is changing. If you don't adjust or adapt, it can leave behind. And, obviously, we've seen that with him. But I think coming back to Italy, um, there is the possibility that in a one-season grind, him mm. just, again, if they don't make Europa League, right? One match a week, just strictly focusing and nailing down the details on that opponent to game plan, because it doesn't have to be a great, a great performance, right? I think he's proven in years past that he can win dirty, win ugly, you know, defend. And I think you see with some of these other clubs um, in Serie A that have been able to compete pretty well. I mean, look at, look at Verona, 
right? They're not a team that has this aggressive, intense attacking style of football under Ivan Juric. But what they can do is they're really well structured. Mm. They're really meticulous to the approach and the game plan. And they can defend like mm. hell. It's and an really make well. it difficult. Right. These teams can they pride themselves on that. I'm not necessarily saying Roma's going to be that way. I just think obviously, you know, Roma, you, you want them to play a different style of football. You want them to be above those certain teams, right? Because you want them to bring something different, right? Playing the capital. It's, you know, you want to be able to them to kind of go neck and neck to a degree with Lazio and the way they play. But I think you're, you're, you're bang on with the sense that if there is a league that would cater to his perhaps outdated methodology and style of playing, it could be Italy, even though the game has gotten a little bit more ramped mm. up with you know, Atalanta, Napoli, and some of these other clubs. I still think it, in the right setup, Mourinho can do pretty well with this team. I just think that, sorry, with the club being in a transition, I think he could have maybe, uh, sorry, could have done something similarly to Roma that he did at Napoli, where he yeah. went from Empoli, took a team that at Napoli that had some pieces in place, and really started plugging in those holes and made them into a real title contender. I'm not saying title contender in a year or two, but building a project where they would trust him. With so that's the key word, right? The project. Right. The project. And right. I think yeah. he's a far cry from a project manager, right? I think that's probably the, the last thing to say yeah. about it. Um, just as we've been recording, we've had um, Chelsea come out with a statement. Uh, so Chelsea Football Club announces that as from the 1st of July, there'll be supporter presence at the club's board meeting. So three supporter advisors pick through an election and the selection process will attend board meetings to ensure general supporter sentiment is considered as part of the club's decision making process. The club will now consult with the fans forum and several non-official support groups to discuss the club's proposal proposed uh, process for picking the three supporter advisors. Criteria for nomination as well as final selection will ensure that the sports presence is representative of the, uh, of our supporter base generally as an ex- as and is inclusive and diverse. I've forgotten how to speak today. A new selection will be made before the start of each season. Further information regarding the consultation will be communicated directly to the fans forum and other non-official uh, supporters groups in the coming days the successful candidates will be required to enter into a confidentiality agreement similar to the scope to the confidentiality obligations of a member of the chelsea fc club board of directors this will allow the club to discuss and seek advice on broad range of matters the supporter advisors will not have any voting rights will not participate in any meetings relating to players staff the academy and related matters supporter advisors will attend approximately four meetings per year and more if appropriate if they complete the year successful successfully they will be entitled to to select a uk registered charity to receive a contribution of two and a half thousand pounds from the club so that's pretty interesting matt like uh i I know it wouldn't it's not something that we wanted to to bring up but kind of popped up in my timeline while we were recording i know i shouldn't be on twitter but here we are um that's really interesting isn't it it is, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to speak on how things will be, how effective things will be. And obviously what some of these clubs will, will look to do with, you know, obviously this sort of thing, right? It's obviously a problem. It's something that needs to be addressed. But you and I know it's, it's, it's not as easy as just, hey, this is what we're going to do and it's going to work. And it's a trial and error thing. It's going to be tinkering. It's, it's a step though. And I think some of these clubs like Chelsea being able to get out in front of this and be someone as a club to represent this movement and spearhead the change is is important for sure 
Yeah, I think it might be a bit of lip service. I mean, there were those things mentioned, Matt, that the they will not be in meetings to attend, whether it be the academy, players, staff, etc. What what are they going to be asked to talk about? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right? Like it's yeah, like yeah. it's like Matt. Look, yeah. mate, I'm going to make you the host of State of Play podcast, but you can't speak on it. You can't tweet from the Twitter account, and you can't say that you're a host, and you can't. Uh, have any input on the designs of our logo <laughs> do you know what i mean like it's yeah, it, the, yeah. the remit seems very very limited and it seems it's, quite yeah it seems, it seems like, quite um, token uh, a token gesture it seems, it seems like chelsea put this out and they and then when people get the shock that they don't have certain privileges they go oh well you didn't read the fine print the terms and conditions right yeah. like it's kind of feels like a terms and conditions type ordeal here with chelsea but I, I, I agree. I think there's some lip service in this, but at some point, like, you know, these, some of these clubs have, they have to do something, right. They have to change the wheel a little bit. So I, I don't know. It's kind of, I'm, I'm, I, I, you would probably speak better on it than I can knowing your background with Arsenal and the premiership. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, look, like it just sounds like uh, a club is trying to build bridges with a supporter base that they've obviously, uh, burn a bridge with like you know Chelsea fans Arsenal fans and Man United fans uh, are probably the three clubs that have had the most high profile kind of fan outrage both in terms of protests and obviously what we saw with the, the Liverpool United game which was the um the protest that obviously ended up postponing the game completely so um yeah I, I think clubs are looking at this even ones that weren't affected by that protest say Chelsea being like well Look, like things have quelled a little bit, but we do need to continue hammering home the point. Like it wasn't the the Super League thing was the 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 straw that broke the camel's back, right? It wasn't the reason why the sole reason why everyone's angry with their respective owners. It was like a culmination of things that ended up with the biggest fuck you to to, to fans and and smaller football clubs. So I I think people do need to understand that and do need to sympathise with a lot of people who are uh, angry at the, the ownership of their clubs. But um, back to football, Matt, I mean, two title races that are very interesting in the Liga and League are just keep on getting more exciting. I mean, particularly in France, man, like, I mean, it's just, there seems to be a 3-2 every other day. Um, Leon have basically made it now a two-horse race between PSG and Lille. So uh, for those of you who don't know, um, uh, Leon had two games in a row against uh, the uh, second place side Lille uh, or first place side Lille rather and also third place Monaco in this four horse race for the league um, they lost 3-2 to Lille after being 2-0 down and they beat Monaco 3-2 with a last minute Ryan Shirky winner um, in a game that just went completely back and forth that also ended up with I think three red cards in the end or something crazy like that. So um, lots of drama in France, but it, it seems to be like it's going to be a two horse race. And um, I mean, amazingly, Lille have it in their own hands, right? Like they're now in a position, Matt, where if they beat Lannes, Saint-Étienne and Angers, they win the league. You know, what's crazy too, is that looking at what Lille have accomplished this year and the fact that they're in this position, we touched on it in last episode, right? Some of the, the sort of balance of power or the lack thereof in some of these major leagues with the way you know certain teams are dominating year in and year out. It feels like what Lille's doing 
it kind of feels similar to what Monaco did a yep. handful of years ago. Maybe not as being um, as uh, advertised and as um, publicized and spoken on, but this feels like if you're against modern football and you're against these big, huge in, uh, owners coming in and being able to create this huge super team, Lille beating PSG, who have run this league pretty much for the past almost decade, would be crazy to think about mm. that. And it would be such a major story that maybe in years down the road, we would only begin to appreciate it much more. Because now there's, you know, Champions League and the big title race in Serie A, obviously that just wrapped up. But, you know, that the, the, the French League doesn't maybe get as much attention and notoriety. But something like this, obviously, and even what we're seeing with like Atalanta's of the world, right? Some of these clubs that are overachieving with smaller budgets and doing it still somewhat of the old fashioned way of scouting, like hammering down those finer details to get a winning project intact. All credit to Lil. I mean, obviously, we, we touched on it in a couple episodes previously about, you know, the, heart, the headache they gave Milan. I mean, mm. clean sheet of them in the Europa League, ran that group, dominated that Europa League group. Obviously, they didn't make it as deep as a run, but they're a team that's really well coached. Ocampos, I think, I think it's just Luis Campos is their director. Yeah, they have a nice little project there, and I think they're on the rise. Yeah, and, and Christophe Galtier is um, fr- from being kind of like a Liga only manager is I think going to be someone that's going to be in demand, right? Like he was fairly successful at Saint Etienne until um, until his contract expired, and um, like he's he's pretty much done an exceptional job at Lille, right? Like I think uh, I- I'm looking at his his record now. He's only lost 42 out of 149 games since December 2019, uh, 2017 rather, which is like a 51% win, win uh, ratio, which is pretty impressive. I mean, yeah, you mentioned Louis <laughs> Campos. I mean, like th- the thing is they don't panic about their signings either, right? Like uh, no. if someone leaves, Jonathan David comes in, he doesn't hit the ground running, but it, it, Galtier and and Louis Campos clearly have this understanding where it's like, okay, look, I know this is going to maybe hurt you a little bit short term while this guy gets confidence, but we both know that long term for the club and for the team, if this guy starts firing, it's going to be for the best. And to to kind of do what he's doing with predominantly quite a young squad after losing, you know, Gabriel to Arsenal, um, they Pepe. lose Pepe, they lose a big player every year. He's done a fantastic job, Galtier. 100%. And I think, like I was saying, you know, if, if you want to focus on a team that, you know, can build a project that has that scouting network in there, that is a great, you know, maybe a stepping stone club. I know it sounds kind of unfortunate to say that because you would like to see teams like this stay intact, but that's just the reality of the sport nowadays. But they're, they're quite clearly like a model club for a lot of these teams to um, draw inspiration from. Right, Atlanta, mm. as I mentioned, Lille. I mean, you can talk about the teams, maybe like Wolves. I know they have you know, the money, right? The big Premier League backing, but the way they're going about building a team is really impressive. And then you even see teams in um, in Spain, like Sociedad, and, and some of these teams that can really mm. build a club despite you know, a lot of moving parts and pieces going in and out. And really, them being a team that when you're speaking on the compare comparables between them and the rest of the, the top competitors in the league, it's not even close. So the fact that Lille's doing this, when you have a team like PSG, who is one good result away from a Champions League final for the second straight year, yeah, like I said, that's really impressive to me. 
really impressive. And we know PSG haven't been consistent. We know even Lyon kind of faltered away towards the end and might not even make the Champions League spots. But obviously that game against Monaco was really big. But uh, amazing anyway, right? Like they could finish with with 80 plus points, which is crazy to think um, uh, and really impressive. I mean, uh, in Spain as well, you mentioned the Sociedad, but there is a four... Uh, a four-horse race suddenly, Matt, right? Sevilla is snuck into the uh, back door. We talked about this in the last podcast, and we're going to probably cover it until the season ends, but um, La Liga is exciting, and it's crazy to think, right? Like, we talked about... um, We talked about, uh, you know, would would Messi win the Ballon d'Or if they came top? And, you know, I kind of argued no. Um... I I do think that like he could come third or fourth, which is probably not fourth anymore considering Sevilla's latest result um, in in losing to Bilbao. Uh, but like coming third and first, it could be a matter of absolute inches, couldn't it be, Matt? Uh, couldn't it, Matt? Which is is pretty crazy to think about uh, considering how late we are into the season. Yeah, I mean it's it's great that we're having these conversations. I mean, I, I, you and I. Are probably tired of seeing, you know, obviously cities dominated, you know, and sort of had their their gap between them and the rest of the field for the Scudetto, which has been, you know, if you're listening, if, if you're a Milan fan, it stinks like me, but um, you know, to see someone different win is exciting, but to have such intense uh, title races, like the gridlock, everything and every match has significance down the stretch. It's great, right? Given the fact that we've had been having such a difficult year with COVID and all that stuff. So, uh, I mean, as as far as the Ballon d'Or goes, I mean, this may be the tightest Ballon d'Or uh, race that I can remember. I mean, I know the Modric one where he won. I think a lot of people maybe were surprised. But when you look at the season he had, obviously, he's a great player. So I think, you know, you can maybe have a year where he wins it. Although you and I probably would agree that maybe he shouldn't have won it in the end. But I, I just don't know, right, who would be the favorite because week to week it feels like it's changing right if, if PSG don't make it to the final and they don't win the league can you really put Mbappe ahead of Messi or Lewandowski mm. Mm. or De Bruyne or some of these other guys yeah so week to week it's like, things are changing with this. yeah yeah I mean look we talked about De Bruyne right and again big performance um in the second half of the first leg um and uh all of a sudden it's like oh he might be pro- uh he might be um he might be favourite, um, but uh, yeah, it's ever changing, um, and this football season is uh, hopefully going to be exciting to the very end, at least in those two leagues, and obviously the top four race in in Italy as well, um, and of course the Champions League. But uh, Matt, I think we're going to leave it there. But before we do that, I'm going to remind you folks that this podcast is brought to you in affiliation with So Rare, the global blockchain fantasy game. So Rare is a fancy game of soccer where players buy, sell, trade, and manage a virtual team with digital player cards. And if you use our link, which is in the description and buy five new cards from the primary market, then you get one free rare card, which is pretty awesome. I ended up getting a Memphis to pie when I signed up. Um, and I recently won uh, an Amadou Diawara Matt, uh, in my latest game week tournament, um, which is worth, I don't know how much now, maybe like 150 bucks, which is pretty cool. So, uh, there we are, right. If you're a big fantasy football fan, if you're interested in kind of, card collecting and also crypto then 
this might be the thing for you. So definitely give it a look uh, and have a look at the link that we post out on Twitter and also in our description. Let's hope Mourinho makes Diawara into a uh, absolute world beater again. Matt, thanks so much for uh, for joining. <laughs> and uh, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo, and make sure to subscribe and follow Martino and I on the Milan Reports Twitch channel. Every Tuesday, we do our weekly podcast. We do uh, transfer market uh, streams. We do pre-match shows. We do post-match reactions. So make sure you guys could check us out there. And to everyone who has already subscribed, we appreciate the support. Brilliant. And you can find me at Pet Berisha, P-E-T-B-E-R-I-S-H-A. You can find Martino probably on Spaces at some point. You can follow us at State of Play Pod on all socials. And we will catch you next time. Thank you very much, everyone.